Well, take your Bibles tonight, and we're going to start a new series in the book of James. If you'd stand in honor of God's Word here this evening, James in chapter number one. <clears throat> James. <clears throat> so praying about uh, where to go on Wednesday nights as we finished uh, first, second, and third John, felt very inclined um, and led just to stay in the epistles. And, uh, and then thinking about our theme here, teach them, as, as Brother Christian alluded to and mentioned. Um, in fact, one of the, one of the keys uh, here in, in the book of James is James says, be not many teachers. Everybody wanted to teach, but they weren't mature. And so there was a need for maturity among the teachers. So if we're going to have that, that certainly has got to be in place. So we're going to look at the uh, book of James here, the epistle of James. I look forward to it. Such a very practical um, study, you know, or a letter that God preserved for us and I think we'll use to be a great help to us. Uh, I believe it was about uh, 13 years ago we did an adult Sunday school class series through it. So it's been a while since we've been through the book of James and uh, so I'm looking forward. I've never preached through it, so I look forward to studying that and I hope it'll be a help as we get started even here tonight. So let's just look at uh, James chapter 1 and verse number 1 where he writes, James, a servant of God... And of the Lord Jesus Christ, notice this, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be what? Perfect. Okay, so let patience have her perfect work. Now, we're, we're not even really going to get into uh, the count it all joy and, and diverse temptations. We're not really going to get into that even tonight, truly just introductory. But I, I want to call attention to verse 4 in particular where it says, let patience have her perfect work, or it's complete work, perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire. So those two working together, that ye may be perfect and entire, uh, wanting nothing. And we'll actually just stop our reading there, although the idea, of course, continues on. So starting a new series, um, working on a, a title for the series. This, this is subject to change, but this is where I am right now on it. Okay, you ready? A concise course in Christian maturity. Five chapters here. A concise course in Christian maturity. Now that just seemed a little formal to me, so I came up with a subtitle, I've never done this before, a subtitle to the series title, all right? So a concise course in Christian maturity, here's the subtitle, Grow Up. Does that work? Yep. All right, so the title tonight of sermon number one is this, You Can't Test Out of God's Class on Maturity. You cannot test out. You can't, you won't. You may be tested out of English. You may have tested out of math. Let me look around. Probably not many, right? It's college night. Sorry. You're not going to test out of God's class on maturity. We all are in the class. And so let's let God help us to grow up. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We'll work on this here as we get started a little bit together tonight. <clears throat> A concise, it is brief, five chapters, five chapters. 
It moves quickly. It really, not that we will, but it moves quickly. <laughs> Brief, summarizing, crisp. I found words like this, synonyms of concise, sharp, curt, curt, um, blunt. In fact, one man said, you can tell that, that James was a preacher before he was a writer. Because he is, he's just blunt. I mean, he just... In fact, we might say it this way. He just tells it like it is. And I love that about the book of James. And so he's concise. It's right to the point. Um, a concise course, course, uh, a lecture series, a, le a series of lessons, a class. I, I think it would constitute that as he's, yes, it is a letter. In fact, I, you know, I mean, this year's, I didn't really plan it necessarily to do this way where we would begin the book of Hebrews and James right back to back, literally, in the New Testament and Sunday morning, Sunday or Wednesday night. I mean, that's, that's what we're doing. Those of you that are in different parts of the uh, property on Sunday mornings, we're in the book of Hebrews just started on uh, Sunday morning. And so uh, James in many ways is a, is a, um, a co is connected to that. We'll get to that here in a little bit, but a concise course on Christian, just defining terms here, Christ-like, okay, maturity, Emphasis on maturity. I believe there's a great need today for Christian maturity. Wouldn't you agree? Christian maturity. So I looked up the word mature. Webster's 18.28 defines mature this way. We apply it. I actually gave an example. We apply it to young, a young man who has arrived to the age when he's supposed to be competent to manage his own concerns. A young man... Uh, who is supposed to be competent to manage his own concerns. All right, does that make sense to everybody? Uh, do we need some young men who are competent to manage their own concerns? Maturity, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, a young woman, he says, who is fit to be married. A young woman who is fit to be married, an elderly man, or elderly men, it says, who have much experience. So, there's some ideas. There's some examples of maturity. Completed. Uh, when I looked up uh, this word here, we'll get to it a little bit more. Prepared. How about this? Ready. Ready. Mature. The idea is uh, to be ready. Um, this year's theme, teach them, really, I mean, think about it with me here just a moment. Teach them is really focused on us helping them to become mature, complete, equipped, ready. Which means, this implies this, if we're gonna have those of us, which all of us are in this effort to teach them, then if we're gonna teach them, then that means we need to be mature. It's a little frightening when you see some who are Teachers, modern day teachers, and uh, just strictly by their appearance, and it looks like they're trying to fit in more with the young people than they are trying to be a leader of character and content. And I, I could describe more if you needed me to, but I think you get the idea that you look at some and you say, You're a teacher? I'm not talking about like they look young, I'm talking about they try to act young. So that's frightening, but even more frightening is sometimes the attitude that can be there as well. 
So James here is saying, hey, um, we're going to need some people to lead others, but they've got to be mature. Maturity, maturity. Uh, perfect is the word. It's interesting. This adjective, perfect, is used 19 times in the New Testament. But the most hits on that particular word, perfect, teleos, I mean, it, it's, it's very much the word that we heard our Savior say, it is finished. That's the word. That was the verb that he used. This is the adjective form, used 19 times. But the most hits on that particular adjective is right here in James. It's used four times. Uh, right here in chapter one, three times. And it's also used in chapter three, that if any man can control his tongue, he's a perfect man, mature. It talks about the perfect law of liberty, uh, chapter one. And it talks about... Um, it talks about here in chapter four, we read it, you know, if, if uh, let patience have its perfect work or perfect work, that you may be perfect, that you might be perfect, mature. So here's the word. It means complete, full development, as opposed to immaturity. Uh, pertaining to being grown up. All right. Warren, Warren Wiersbe said this, not everyone who grows up, I'm sorry, not everyone who grows old grows up. Not everyone who grows old grows up. There's a difference between age and maturity. Someone else said this, you are young only once, but you can stay immature indefinitely. You're young only once, but you can stay immature indefinitely. Uh, George Chisholm, I, I don't know in particular exactly who that is, but he said this, so far in the history of the world, there has never been enough mature people in the right places. <laughs> so far in the history of the world, there's never been enough mature people in the right places. I think he's on to something right there. Just yesterday, we had our staff development and uh, because as a church staff, we're, we need to mature. <laughs> we need to grow up. <laughs> we need to develop. 10 and 10 Christians are somewhere in the process of their spiritual growth. 10 out of 10. That means all of us. So we actually watched a video. Remember I mentioned uh, about our theme, uh, Teach Them, about a book by a man named Bob Bill who wrote a book on fourth grade. Uh, age nine, that's the subtitle of it. Um, life's turning point. So anyways, he's making a point that age nine is your most critical age of life. And, but he also wrote another book called Decade by Decade. And so uh, we watched a short video on it. It's about 30 minutes long. And it said in your first decade of life, your real need is security. Your second decade of life as a teenager, you're focused on yourself. The next decade of life in your 20s, the word he used, so you got security, self, survival. You're just trying to survive. The big question is, can I make it in an adult world? Can you survive and then success and then significance and then strategy and then uh, uh, slippery? The 80s are slippery. I think I skipped a couple of decades or a decade at least, but, and then 90s are sleep. <laughs> but he asked this question, how old will you be in the next decade? Think about that. 
I'm not trying to get you depressed here tonight. I'm just simply saying, well, how old will you be in the next decade? I'm about to turn 48, so I'll be 58 in the next decade. Is that old, Brother Ted? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. There's an authority on the subject, right? So, amen. <laughs> I didn't mean that wrong. I'm just simply saying. Oh, great. <laughs> if any man can control the tongue, he's, yeah, so there's room for growth here. So. All right. So how old will you be in the next decade? Let me ask you this. How mature will you be in the next decade? Think about that. You're 16 years old. How, how much? Okay. In 10 years, you're going to be 26 years old. How mature will you be? You know, a lot of 26 year olds are still acting like 16 year olds or mm, six year olds. Maybe that's more accurate. How old will you be in the next decade? How mature will you be in the next decade? Maybe you're 36. How, how mature will you be at, at, at 46? You see how that works. So just because you're getting older does not mean that you're getting more mature. But it, you're, it is very important, to state the least, that for the overall well-being of this church, that we not just grow older, but that we become more mature. Has anybody here arrived at the state of maturity, Christian perfection? Nope. No, not one. <laughs> right? Not one. So James is writing here and he's using this word perfect. And I, and I, I agree with most of the ones that I studied after. This is a major theme of the book, this matter of maturity. I, I, don't think, I don't think we need to get creative and think, well, I'm going to give it another theme. No, no, no. I, I think he's saying, hey, you need to be mature in this. And so I want to try to emphasize this. This word perfect is interesting because it's used in a lot of great places. Um, let, let me just emphasize a few. Matthew 5. In fact, a lot of what you see James writing about, um, you can hear Jesus preaching about. There's a lot of correlation between James as an epistle and Jesus preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. There's almost like a one-to-one -one correlation in many regards. But uh, Jesus said, be ye therefore perfect as your Father also in heaven is perfect. The same word, perfect. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. Okay, I didn't realize this, but that word men there is the same word perfect. So he's saying, listen, don't be children. Now, now if you're a kid, you need to be a kid. All right? Too many kids are missing their childhood. Okay, there's a difference between childhood and childishness though. Okay, so Paul is saying, in malice be, be simple, be innocent, but in, in understanding, be men. Be mature. Be mature in your doctrinal understanding. Well, there's a need for that today, isn't there? There's a need for that. Young people, uh, you need to be mature in your understanding of Bible doctrine. It ought not be, as Brother Copeland wrote the book, it's, it's not just your daddy's faith 
or your daddy's religion. I forget the exact title of the book, but it's about Baptist distinctives. And it's to help young people to say, to recognize, hey, I'm not a Baptist just because my daddy was a Baptist or my great granddaddy or my granddaddy was a Baptist or my grandma told me you better be a Baptist or I'll get you. And you better listen to your grandmother because she's got a good point right there. But you need to be a Baptist because you got in the book to see why you're a Baptist. You see, you take somebody like a brother Christian Hack and, and, and some of the religious confusion that he went through, but when he got in the word, it brought him to a Baptist church. So James is saying to us here, even though this book is not a lot about theology, I mean, you, although it is, it's more about practicality. And, and so, but both are needed. We need to be mature. We need to have a clear understanding about the Bible and its doctrines so that then we can be mature in our life. See. And so this is what he says, be men, be mature. And then there's many other verses. In fact, Ephesians chapter four says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God unto a perfect man. So God is saying here, listen, I'm giving these pastors and teachers and leaders that you might be perfected and we've got to keep growing. we got to keep learning. we got to keep going so that we can then be a perfect man. So since we haven't arrived there, let's just keep learning and keep growing. It's the idea. So it is a process. This is so good that this falls on college night because, you know, it's so interesting to me that as so many young people come up here and they're so nervous in your freshman year to introduce yourself, and, but then by their senior year, they're preaching or teaching or singing, hey, that's glory to God because of that process of maturity that's taking place. But wait a minute, let me hasten to say this. Just because you have honed in on a skill does not mean that you have developed Christian character. There's a lot of highly skilled sinners that are behind pulpits that have great eloquence, but poor character. And James is saying, hey, that ought not to be. Grow up. Sorry, I just had to emphasize that the subtitle in there a little bit. So he's talking about a concise uh, a course here on Christian maturity. I love what Paul said. Just a few more verses here. Colossians chapter 1, 28, whom we preach, talking about Jesus, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. There it is. That, I think that is such a great uh, emphasis for a local church that we are preaching Christ on a regular basis that we might present every single person perfect in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1, 28. If, uh, Colossians 4, 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect. Here's, here's who I think to be the pastor of that church in Colossae. And he's, he's, Paul says of him, listen, he's praying for you fervently. Can, can I pause right there to say this? Hey, you and I need to be praying for others fervently that they might stand perfect and mature. I call on your church to pray for, for the fellow members of the church that we might grow and, and be mature in Christ Jesus. In fact, the word is also used in uh, Hebrews chapter five, but strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. Same word, perfect, that full age. So it's that idea of maturity. In fact, didn't the writer there say, who I believe to be Paul, he said this, a time when you ought to be a teacher, you have need that somebody teach you again. Is everybody getting this so far? Are you seeing that there's a great need for you to grow spiritually and in maturity? 
Warren Wearsby again. I, I want to quote a little bit here because this is so applicable to where we're going with the entire. Oh, uh, sorry, by the way, the other word there, entire, means this whole, complete, or intact. In other words, um, there's not anything lacking. You know, here's, here's what I found. If you and I will stay in God's word, it'll give us what we need for life and ministry. You'll know how to be a young man. You'll know how to be a young lady. You'll know how to be a man or a lady that, that's trying to serve God. If you'll just stay in the book. We'll get to that again uh, in the coming week. But Warren Wiersbe talked about the marks of a mature Christian. He's patient in testing. He practices the truth. He's got power over his tongue. He's a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. He's prayerful in trouble. James, as he says, is not discussing an array of miscellaneous problems. Okay, here's one of the accusations about the book of James. Some say there's no real unity to it. No, I disagree. As one individual said, it's not a bunch of pearls just rolling around in the box. No, they're on a string. It's like a beautiful necklace. It's, it's all working together, this book of, of James. And, but he, he went on to say this, all of the problems that James addresses in this epistle, this letter, have this common cause. Spiritual immaturity. Now you think about it. All the problems that go on in a church or family, aren't they not related to spiritual immaturity? I believe a case could be made right there. In fact, he went on to say this. Spiritual maturity is one of the greatest needs in churches today. Too many churches are playpens for babies instead of workshops for adults. Just look at the problems, he says, that James dealt with. And you can see that each of them is characteristic of little children. Impatience and difficulties, given up too soon. What is that? It's immaturity. Uh, talking about the truth, but not living it. That's immaturity. No control of the tongue, immaturity. Fighting and coveting, immaturity. Collecting material toys, chapter five. It's immaturity. I'm gonna keep quoting him here just a little bit. He says, after over a quarter century of ministry, I am convinced that spiritual maturity is the number one problem in our churches. God is looking for mature men and women to carry on his work. And sometimes all he can find are little children who can't get along with each other. Well, I think, I think that's right on. So what's going on here in the, in the book of James? Well, James, by the way, let me, let me do a little bit of background work here to make sure everybody's understanding this. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Why would you say half-brother of Jesus? I realize there's other, other, other uh, James. There's uh, four, at least four major James identified in the Bible. Uh, you won't believe how much I'm cutting out here tonight that I waited through that you're not going to have to. It's James, the half-brother of Jesus. How's that? I just saved you about 20 pages, not of my notes, of somebody else's. But James is the half-brother. The reason he's referred to as the half-brother of Jesus is because of the virgin birth. But James is a significant individual. Now, it's interesting. James was, James was an unbeliever, obviously, living in the home, same home as Jesus. He's mentioned in Mark chapter 6. He's mentioned in John chapter 7 as an unbeliever, a skeptic. 
In fact, he does not become a believer until his brother, half-brother, and soon-to-be Savior appears to him according to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and verse number 7. So once he sees his, can I say it this way? Once he sees his, ha his resurrected half-brother, Jesus, all skepticism is gone. And now James is on a brand new journey and a brand new life. And now he's in that upper room with all those other disciples in Acts chapter number one. In fact, he's going to be the pastor of the church in the, in the, the, of the church in Jerusalem. James. In fact, this letter that we're studying is probably the first of the New Testament. Most likely it's the earliest letter, maybe the first of all the writings of the New Testament, probably came out around A.D. 40-something, uh, right in that area. The reason why most say that, and I tend to agree here, is that James, as a pastor of the church in Jerusalem, who oversaw and presided over the Jerusalem Council of Acts chapter number 15, says nothing about that in the epistle of James, which would lead you to think that if that had already happened, probably James would have said something about it in this epistle as he's writing to all the 12 tribes, but he does not. So probably where this epistle actually falls is right about where we were last Wednesday night when we were studying a little bit, Acts chapter number 11, 12, and 13, as there's this great persecution against the Jewish Christians and they go out and they're dispersed all over the place there in that area of Asia and even up into that uh, area like of Macedonia, that, that area there, they're spread out over. Plus the fact in, in Acts chapter number two, you have Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost and many of those Jews that were there were living in Rome and they were living in Cappadocia and other places like that and they got saved, but now they're all scattered around. Are you following me right here? Is this making sense? Okay, so now James is writing to those, but I think in particular, he's writing to those who have been scattered because of persecution and thus he says, James, the servant of, the, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes that are scattered to the 12 tribes that are scattered. Now, the reason that that is significant and it ties into what we're talking about here tonight is that the fact that they've been scattered abroad means that they're under duress. They're under persecution. They're facing great difficulty. Okay, hang on, wait a minute. They're displaced. They're not where they were uh, in the church. Even, let me just say it this way. They're no longer there in the church in Jerusalem where they're hearing James preach on a regular basis, but now they're living in Antioch or they're living on Cyprus or they're living in some other place up in Asia Minor. They're scattered abroad and now, listen saints, now their faith is really being put to the test. And what they need, you might guess, what they need so desperately is this, maturity to stand when they're on their own and they're no longer with their home church. I wonder if you're seeing any kind of connection just right here. It's one thing, it's one thing to be in church when you've grown up in it, you've got no other choice. But what about when you go to that college campus? Huh? What's it going to, where will your, your maturity and your stand be when you're in that workplace and the pressure's on? 
Where, where will your faith be when you're out there on your own and now you're a young married and you've been in church and never missed Sunday school a day in your life and now just because you got married, you're going to start missing Sunday school? Well, that just killed the service right there, but it... Hey, hey, listen, your faith, your, the reality of your faith, and let me, let me say it this way, your maturity is going to be tested. And you don't get to test out of God's class of maturity. No, life is the testing grounds for your maturity. And God, I believe there's some, I believe there's some young people. I believe there's some older people that are here tonight. Some people that have sat in pews for many, many years even that really, sincerely, truly just need to grow up spiritually. And the well-being of this church depends on the maturity of the, of the believers of the church. Because maturity determines two things, your stability and your service. Your maturity, somebody just fell out over here. Your maturity <laughs> determines your stability and your service. Hey, I wonder where, where are we going to find some other uh, bus directors, bus captains? Well, you know what we need? We need somebody that has some maturity about them that we can count on and not have to wonder, man, when are they going to show up? Are they going to show up? We need some nursery workers that, and I thank God, and please don't think I'm, I'm down on everybody. I'm not. <laughs> Sorry, Brother Dean. I'm not. <laughs> not at all. Because we have nursery workers that show up. And we have Sunday school teachers that show up. And we have Sunday school workers that show up and are there. And we have junior church workers that show up and are there. And we've got people in the choir that show up and are there. And we've got people that practice songs and they show up and they're there. We've got teachers that teach and they show up and they're there. And they've got preachers that preach. But I'm thinking not just about today, but I'm thinking about 10 years from now. I'm thinking about 20 years from now. When you're 10 years older, will you be 10 years more mature? Because you young ladies may be the next Sunday school teachers. And you young men, we're going to need some new Sunday school teachers because we're getting old. Er. <laughs> and we're going to need some second grade boys teachers and some third grade boys teachers and some fourth grade boys teachers. And we're going to need some people working in the youth department. And we're going to need some people working in the sound booth and up in the media. Are you following what I'm saying? I'm just talking about just the daily operation of the church. I mean, just the, the week to week role of things and how things work. There's got to be some people that you can count on. That's got some maturity that, that also has some, some depth to them that even when it gets hard, they don't flake out. I mean, you don't have to worry. I mean, there's, there's, there, I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk through. Okay, here, here it is. This is going to be a concise, relatively concise course on Christian maturity using the book of James. We need some believers, current and future, that when the storms of life Come on, even though it's hard, they still are faithful to God. We need believers who will resist temptation when it comes. That's the middle part of chapter number one. Not the ones that just give in to every screen that, that comes along the way as they're scrolling. That doesn't, that doesn't cave when they're at their friend's house. 
That doesn't cave when they're, when they're with their girlfriend or when they're with their boyfriend. Hey, do people have to worry about you? If they got to worry about you, you're not mature. You need to grow up. You need to do right by the grace of God and, and not cause your parents to worry about you and, or cause your spouse. Does your wife have to worry who you're talking to? Does your husband have to worry who you're talking with on Facebook? Hey, I'm, I'm talking to you because, listen, there can be real Christian immaturity. Well, that's not Christ-like. That's, a, that's the wrong terminology. That is immature. That is not Christ-like. People have to worry about you if they're going to give in to temptation. Are you following me right here? You need to grow up. You should be able to be trusted with the phone. You should be able to be trusted with a computer screen. You should be able to be trusted when you're alone. You should be able to be trusted with a, with a television. You should be able to be trusted with a friend. You should be able to be trusted with music choices. You should be able to be trusted on and on and on and on and on it goes. But if you're not, you're not mature. And you could be in church and still be immature. And you could be in church 20 and 30 years and have a facade of being mature and not be mature. I'm telling you, James is curt. He's sharp. He's right to the point. In fact, in chapter four, I'm jumping way ahead here and I'll come back to chapter number one. But he says, you adulterers and adulteresses. In fact, some people, some, some quote unquote scholars say, well, this couldn't be written so early because worldliness hadn't had a chance to come into the church yet. But those that I read after that had brains said something like this. It doesn't take long for worldliness to come into a church. Carnality comes very natural to us. And so it could have been just another day. It could have been just a decade after Jesus is sent back to heaven that the church was looking a lot more like the world. And when a church, it does not matter how big the buildings, it does not matter how prestigious the staff, no matter how, how many people are flocking to it, when a church looks more like the world, that is not a mark of maturity, that's a mark of immaturity, according to James. James calls them out and says that is, that is spiritual adultery, flirting with the world and embracing the world. But it's not just churches as a corporate body that, do, that does that, because it doesn't happen corporately, it happens individually. We need Christians who are mature Christians that will not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. You listen well, but do you well? I mean, it's quiet in here. I'm preaching without any helpers helping me, except those saying amen. 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 I mean, brother, brother Hack mentioned about, you know, you got to have some helpers to keep things calm. Everything's calm in here as far as I can tell. But you know, everything can be calm and everything can be communicated and you can be a hearer of the word and walk out those doors, never even determined to be different than when you came in. That is a mark of Christian immaturity. We need some mature believers that treat everybody that walks through these doors exactly the same way. Chapter two, first part. If it's a rich person or if it's a poor, per, poor person, 
Treat them just the same. We don't say to somebody that's driving a really slick SUV that just came out and they're, I mean, it's like their kids have got it all together. I mean, you can just tell their, their son's a quarterback, their daughter is the cheerleader and they got it all lined out and you, you say, oh, come up here and sit up on the, don't, don't sit there by him. Come over here and, I'm sorry, Brother Dean, it just started and here we go. And, and so you sit, give them a prominent place to sit and treat them so nice. But somebody that comes in in a Bondo buggy that just barely got in the parking lot. In fact, it stalled out twice and it's loud and it's rattling and so are they. And they've got the smell of the world on them. I mean, cigarette smoke or, or marijuana. And you think, man, I don't want to sit by them because they're kind of obnoxious. They're kind of weird. They might say something weird. They might do something weird. And I look weird. So you tell them, you sit way back here somewhere away from me. That's Christian immaturity, according to James. That's what that is, plain and simple. That's Christian immaturity. And, and what James is saying, hey, if you're saved, it ought to be showing up in your life. That's the last part of chapter number two. And James is not in conflict with Paul. No, no, no. James is saying the same thing Paul's saying, except Paul is saying this, it's justification by faith. And James is saying, well, if it's justification by faith, it ought to be demonstration before man. Listen, the fact that you're saved ought to show up in your life. Otherwise, you got, you got dead faith. Paul is looking at the root. James is looking at the fruit. That's all it is. I just listened to the fact it just happened on, on Monday as I was uh, driving around. I heard Adrian Rogers preaching. He's preaching out of James. Chapter number two kind of confirmed in my mind that we're supposed to consider James. And he said this. He said, if any ounce of our works is, is involved in us being saved, we cannot sing Jesus paid it all. We need to change the words to the song to say something like this. Jesus owes me something because wow. I added some works to that. No, friend, listen, James is saying if you're saved, it ought to show up in the way that you live. Yeah. Chapter number three, we need some believers. We need some mature believers that know how to control the tongue. That's not gossiping and complaining and cussing and singing one song at church and singing another song in the car. We need some believers, some mature believers that's getting their wisdom from heaven rather than the sensuality of this world. Amen. End of chapter three. We need some believers who know how to mature believers now, some mature believers that know how to handle conflict. Chapter four, first part, rather than being at strife and at war with one another, takes maturity. Takes maturity within a friendship, within a marriage, within a parent-child relationship, within membership relationships. Hey, we need some mature believers that say, I don't have to have my way. I don't have to be the one that's right all the time. I can be wrong. We need some mature believers who don't make their own plans. They don't act like an arrogant businessman that's saying, tomorrow I'm going to set up this business and then the next day I'm going to do this and then the next day I'm going to do this. Hey, wait a minute, won't you say this? If God will. I'm going to seek the face of God and what God tells me. I'm not going to say I'm going to go and do this in this city and then this in that city. No, we need some believers, some mature believers that'll get on their face before God and say, God, what do you want me to do? We need some mature believers that won't be mesmerized by the materialism of this age, chapter number five. And we need some mature believers who'll get on their face when they're facing some difficulties rather than on Facebook and working it out on their own. That's the book of James. That is our course outline. Now here's the course requirements. Attend 
and participate. Students, you should feel like I'm going over a syllabus right now. That's exactly what I'm doing. Attend, show up, and participate. How do you participate? Do you like Brother Dean's doing? Taking notes. Write that down. Taking notes. <laughs> Sitting where you can listen. Sitting with the intent to apply what you're hearing. That is attending, attending. It's got to start right there. Don't skip class. In fact, uh, Brother Harrison, the pastor of this church for 29 years, often referred to this congregation as class. Am I right? Those of you that were longtime members here, now class. I've heard him say it on tape, a cassette tape. Cassette tapes are these square things that like, anyways, but anyways, he'd say now class. And, and so listen, that's what we are. We're enrolled in this. Don't skip church. You can't mature skipping. Immature people skip. Participate, be involved, study, do your own study, come prepared because the tests are not taken in here. They're taken out there. Help one another, help one another, teach one another, talk to one another about the faith, not just about football. Talk to one another about the faith, not just uh, recipes. I don't think I've ever done that, but just trying to include everybody. <laughs> Talk to one another about the faith, not just Pinterest. How's that? Is that pretty good? Yeah. Talk to one another about growing and things that matter eternally. Don't belittle somebody that's failing. Be willing to be a tutor to help them. Spend some extra time in discipling because they're facing tests in life that they've got to be mature in. And those that are mature need to help those that are not. And so church, class, if we're going to teach them, we've got to be mature. And the well-being and the future of this church depends on us having mature Christians. Because your maturity determines your stability and your stability determines your service. And we'll lose this church if we start catering to consumers instead of making disciples. And 25 years from now, an immature Southwest Baptist Church could rebrand and change the name to Southwest Church. Or... The rock <laughs> or the stream or the waterfall. <laughs> no, we are Southwest Baptist Church and we're not ashamed of that. May God help us. Let's stand together here tonight. Test your commitment to maturing in Christ at this time. How committed are you to daily Bible reading and prayer? Are your closest friends Christ-like Christians or carnal Christians? How seriously are you taking applying the message tonight and others like it? How old will you be next decade? But the bigger question is this, how mature 
will you be? Dear Father, help us tonight. Thank you for this book of James. I look forward to getting deeper into it for the sake of application. So help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.